The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good Monday, everybody. Good Monday. The week hath begun. It's Fantasy NBA Today. I'm Dan Baspris. Rocking it solo on this Monday as we get uh, set for another division. Wanted to make sure I used the right word there. That was the reason for the brief pause. Another division in our team analysis month here. August is team analysis month. We wiped out Fantasy 101 at the end of July and the very beginning of this month. Last week, we tackled the Pacific Division. This week, we will tackle the Northwest Division, the aptly named Northwest Division, which takes us to the Northwest, the North, the Middle, but not so much the West. Due West is uh, really more Pacific than anything else. Uh, the Northwest Division, of course, containing five teams that have to travel a lot. Is that the best way to break it down? Probably. The Denver Nuggets, the Utah Jazz, you're in the mountains, you're at altitude. You got Oklahoma City, right smack in the middle of our fine country. Uh, The Minnesota Timberwolves, way up north. The Portland Trailblazers, way out in the northwest. The Blazers, man, they they got a rough go as far as airplane travel goes. And it was a really good division last year with a lot of changes, particularly the Thunder. But that's not what we're talking about today. Today is not the thunder. We're going to work our way uh, geographically, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I didn't I didn't plot this thing out. I like all five of these teams to talk about, at least from a uh, fantasy standpoint. So pick a name out of a hat. We're going to go Blazers today, and I think we'll go Timberwolves today as well, and we'll just sort of work our way from the northwest to the north. We'll drive across the top of the United States, and then we'll come floating downward. Well, I guess we have to cut back to the west to get to Utah and then back to Denver slightly east of that, I guess. I mean, I don't know. There's there's no there's no rhyme or reason to it. Anyway, uh, at Dan Bespris on Twitter, if you want to give me a follow, we're at a fun time of the year where a lot of folks are tuning into the podcast for the first time. So welcome to the show. It's a, a distinct pleasure to have you. I mentioned it on Twitter, and I can't remember if I mentioned it here on the podcast, but... Uh, we had a July growth year over year of about 90% in total downloads, which is just just mind-boggling stuff. Now, admittedly, July last year was relatively quiet. Not a ton of people listening to the podcast, but some. You know, it's not like a pittance. There was still a decent chunk of you. And the fact that that decent chunk became 1.9 decent chunks, I am... Just incredibly flattered. You know what drives me crazy? This is a weird tangential thought at the beginning of the show, but it's Monday. The week's getting started. I'm trying to recalibrate my own brain here. Uh, It always drives me crazy when extremely confident, at times arrogant, and it's usually athletes, but it's everybody, says, I'm humbled by something. We're clearly not humbled by it. I think people don't really understand the meaning of the word humbled anymore. But what I would like to say instead, and this is why I chose my words carefully there, is flattered. 
I don't know that I'm humbled by the growth of the podcast. That, that seems like a silly thing for it to be. Uh, I'm just, I'm happy about it. And I'm flattered that you guys found it. So thank you to everybody that's found the podcast. Thank you to everybody that's shared the podcast. And a biggest, fattest, warmest, mushiest thank you to everybody that has rated and reviewed the podcast. Most importantly, the rating. The review is just icing on the cake. That's just words people might be able to read. Uh, but we want to pile up those five-star reviews on Fantasy NBA today. We hit 200 reviews last week, uh, which is pretty impressive. There are shows that have been around two to three times as long as ours that have half the number of ratings. And it's a testament to how dedicated you guys are to keep this show free. Because if the show keeps growing, then advertisements will make sure this show t- stays free forever. You guys are never going to have to put a penny into the Fantasy NBA Today coffers. All we need are five-star reviews. That's it. That's the money. Those are the That's the currency by which we operate over here. So if you have a moment, please do rate and review the podcast. Uh, we will love you forever. Also, it's recruiting season. I mentioned this last Monday, and then I forgot to mention it last Tuesday and Wednesday. And that's stupid. I need to get my act together. Uh, but Hoop Ball's recruiting. If you want to host a podcast, let me know. If you want to be part of our fantasy squad, let me know. If you want to cover a team, let me know. Whether it's writing or podcasting. Well, you want to learn how to blurb? Let me know. You want to write feature pieces? Let me know. You're going to have to blurb too. Lots of skill levels here at Hoop Ball. Obviously, we want the best of the best, but we understand that some folks that are good at writing, haven't written for sports before. We'll train you. So it's trainee season at Hoop Ball as well. At Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. If you can find it, let me know. If you can spell my last name, let me know. Recruiting season. Good time of year. This is a fun time of year. We're going to be doing recruiting stuff for the next two and a half months, really, because this is when new folks find the podcast, new folks find the website, hoop-ball.com at hoopballfantasy this is when uh, those folks that are big into fantasy I mean, you're not finding the podcast unless you're a reasonably sized diehard and if you think you got the chops to handle it on the analyst side as opposed to the very good player at Dan Vespers on Twitter simple enough The show is also brought to you by our good friends at Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee Company. HawaiianIsles.com is the website, at HIKonaCoffee on Twitter, and Hawaiian Isles on Amazon. Said it before, all you got to do is type in the word Hawaiian, and then I got as far as IS, and Amazon already knew that I was about to search for Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee. You can get it prime. That's next day delivery. Have you run out of coffee at this exact moment? Pause the podcast. Go to Amazon. Order an Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee bag, and then restart the podcast. And you're set for a few weeks, I assume. I don't know. How fast do people drink coffee? If it's really fast, order another one. See that? That's uh, it's called good advertising. Order more. <laughs> What's that? You're all out? Order more. Maybe you could win some once the season starts, but you can't wait that long. you got to get it now. Okay. I promised we'd get into some teams. We're getting into some teams. Monday shows, you know, we've got this long opening on Monday. So apologies. Uh, not in advance. In whatever the after. I don't, I don't know the terminology. Get off my case. Uh, apologies after the fact here for uh, giving you all these things to think about on a Monday morning, but thank you for dealing with us. 
And let's dig into the fantasy now. We're going to start with the Portland Trailblazers. Last week, by the way, if you missed it, uh, Monday we did a uh, a pair of L.A. teams. We knocked out the uh, Warriors in this mix. We knocked out the Kings and Suns. I believe that was Wednesday of last week. So uh, fear not. We got uh, we got plenty of stuff coming up. We only have one division in the rear view. You can go listen to those podcasts. That's should be available in our in our post feed here. The Portland Trailblazers uh, had more turnover than you might expect from a team that was, by all accounts, financially hamstrung. That was the thing that really blew my mind, is that this was a team coming into this year that was, well, basically ruined from a salary cap standpoint, and they did find a way to retool some things. The core guys are still the same. Still Damian Lillard, who, by the way, has only been in the NBA for seven seasons. Doesn't feel longer than that. C.J. McCollum, who signed an extension, he's only been in the NBA for six years. That also feels longer than that. And then, of course, the injured Yusuf Nurkic. That's the core with this Portland Trailblazers team. But they've managed to retool some of the peripheral pieces. They traded Evan Turner and picked up Kent Bazemore. They traded Mo Harkless and picked up Hassan Whiteside. Scal Labissiere is on the team now. Anthony Tolliver is on the team now. Mario Hazonia is on the team now. They re-signed Rodney Hood, who they obviously picked up partway through last season. So it's not a new-look Blazers team. It's still going to be an offense-led almost entirely because Nurkic is out for many months. I'm sure he's going to try to play at some point this year. It'd be too much of an emotional blow if he wasn't, but he's not coming back until... At the very least, I would think the halfway point, and there's no way he's going to be the same guy, at least until next, the following NBA season, 2020-2021. So emotional stuff aside, this is Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum's team. But there has to be something else going on. That only accounts for two of the five roster spots. We've heard rumblings... That Hassan Whiteside will be coming off the bench for this team. He's an interesting case study in fantasy because he only averaged 23 minutes a game with Miami last year in a weird mishmash of a season that saw him start and put up huge numbers for like half a week, get hurt, sometimes have big games, sometimes completely disappear, but all the way through the year, shoot an unreal 45% at the free throw line. As free throw shooters go, he was the worst. He had the highest negative free throw impact on a fantasy team of anyone in the NBA last year. The worst. Just from a sheer percentage and volume situation. He only took three and a half a game, but when you're making 45%, and you're missing basically 1.8, 1.9 free throws every single night, that is soul-crushing. And it's an interesting number to sort of stand up against, right? Because Ben Simmons, he jumps to mind, shot 60% on a higher volume, but 60 has, is a lot higher than 45. Ben Simmons was terrible last year from a free throw standpoint. Uh, he was, I believe, the second worst 
from a negative impact. You know what? He was basically tied with Andre Drummond, who shot 59% on roughly the same volume as Ben Simmons. So they were basically the same. Uh, Rudy Gobert was up there. He took more free throws than the other guys. That is what caused his to elevate. LeBron, 67%, but a very high volume. These are all guys that really crushed your free throw number. Russell Westbrook, but no one could touch the mighty Hassan Whiteside. By Steven Adams, actually, really awful free throw shooting numbers last year. None of these guys listed all these dudes that basically fall into your punt category. None of these guys could touch Hassan Whiteside. And the reason it was so weird and so unique and so interesting is that Whiteside had been on a pretty standard positive trajectory. I mean, almost linear. Almost. He shot 42% at the free throw line way back in 2011, back when with Sacramento before he disappeared to other countries for two years. When he came back to the NBA with Miami, these five seasons since returning to the NBA, Whiteside shot 50, 65, 63, 70, 45. So a lot of us, myself included, went into last year drafting Hassan Whiteside thinking we were getting a steal because nobody believed he could hold off Bam Adebayo all year. He almost did, by the way, despite the free throw issues. And if he really was going to get up near 70%, even if you thought he regressed a little bit, you're thinking mid-60s. If you take his last season and you replace, by the way, he was number 91 in 9-cat, despite the worst free throw number in the NBA. The worst free throw negative value, meaning the worst positive impact. If you remove that, and you can't remove it entirely, but if you need to jump it to like 65% at the volume he was taking, then you basically have like slightly less, slightly lower volume Montrez Harrell, you know, more like a Derek Favors type free throw value. And then you're talking about a top 50 guy. He would have been top 50 last year if he just shot 65% at the free throw line instead of 45. That's how simple it would have been for him to jump 40 slots. That's it. And so you have a massive, massive question on your hands with Whiteside this year. How much does he play? Because supposedly Zach Collins is the starter. How long is Yusuf Nurkic out? The answer, by the way, is going to be a while. And then assuming that Whiteside has opportunities when he's on the floor, which he should because, by all accounts, he's going to a team with better pieces in Portland, particularly at the guard spots, than they had in Miami. Let's say he has plenty of opportunities. There aren't many rebounders on the Blazers outside of Hassan Whiteside, so that'll be fine. There aren't that many rim protectors besides Whiteside, so that'll be fine. He's going to be the guy that's near the bucket on both ends of the floor. The question is, does his free throw number come back at all? Is this a thing between the ears? Probably. But does it go away? It's a massive roll of the dice. Because he's probably going to get drafted in the 75 to 100 range, which is an area with value. There are guys that you can draft in that range that are going to be reliable top 75 guys. I don't have ADPs yet for this year, but it's safe to say that every single season in those 25 slots I just mentioned, half, 
or more of those guys will probably be useful fantasy players. The question you have to ask yourself is, is it worth it? Because the upside with Whiteside is he plays half the ballgame as the center for the Portland Trailblazers. He averages 24 minutes, gets a double-double, gets you two blocks a game, and shoots 65% at the free throw line. If you can get him at 90 and he gets his free throw number back up, you get a guy at 90 that's going to be a top 50 guy. But if he doesn't, maybe he can't shoot free throws. Maybe they can't keep him on the floor. Maybe Zach Collins shows big growth. I'll believe it when I see it. He's a floor spacer, not the rebounder necessarily. Then you might get a guy in white side at 75 or 80 that sits outside the top 100. Of course, it's my job to make the predictions here, so I'll plant my flag in it. I do think his free throw number is better this coming year, but I don't think it's anywhere near where it was two seasons ago. He's not getting back up to 70%. Change of scenery will probably help, but there's something going on at that foul line that... I mean, we've seen for with many players, it can take a long time or forever to go away. So I'm almost definitely not taking this risk in, non, in non-punt builds. I can't. You can't risk it. If the free throw number doesn't come back, you've given up a category, basically. Will he lose you the category by himself? No, if you're, I mean, you know, if you're punting, you take multiple guys that are terrible free throw shooters. But he's going to cost you, I ran the numbers on my team last year, he cost me at least three roto points in free throw percent by himself. So whatever good he was doing in other categories was more than weighed out by the free throw stuff. So he's a negative impact player at that point. Head-to-head, I guess you could make the argument. You know, maybe he goes a week where he just doesn't take any free throws. Fine, whatever. It's a stretch. I'm probably still not doing it, but Roto, almost definitely not. I will say, and of course, the the theme that we've been going on here with our team analysis month is how many guys on the team will sit inside the top 100 on a per game basis at the end of the year. I'm going to say Hassan Whiteside does sit inside the top 100. I'm going to say Zach Collins does not. I know everybody likes Zach Collins and, you know, Portland's hot to trot about him, but he showed that he couldn't he didn't have the consistency yet last year. And maybe he makes a large jump, I don't know, but you know, he's only playing 18 minutes a game. He had a nice start to the year, but he tailed off pretty hard. He's going to have more opportunity this season, uh, but we haven't seen enough to know, you know, four rebounds in 18 minutes. That's just not enough for a guy of his size seven-footer. You got to go in there and grab a few. You know, as a point of reference, Whiteside, 11 rebounds in only, what, six additional minutes last year? So one of these guys is grabbing a rebound every two minutes, and the other is grabbing one basically every four. So that's what you're looking for with this stat stuff. And I don't care about the three-pointers with cons. You can get those somewhere else. I'd rather have the better field goal percent. So Collins is an out. Obviously, Dame Lillard, he's fine. He'll be where he always is. C.J. McCollum, he's fine. He'll be roughly where he always is. I think we have a better idea of what C.J. McCollum is now as opposed to what he was or what we thought maybe he was going to be after that one particularly strong year. That was 2016-2017. We shot 48%. Elsewhere, he's been in the 44-46 to range. I think you can call that one the outlier. 
he also shot 91% at the free throw line that year. That was everything was just off in a wonderful way for McCollum. But I think what we've seen the last two years is probably closer to what you should expect. 44, 45, 46% from the field, 83 to 84% at the free throw line. He's going to score you about 21 to 22 points a game, four boards, three assists, less than a steal, little less than half a block. He's sort of like your poor man's Clay Thompson. Not a ton of defensive stuff, although Clay did better in that number last year, but mostly scoring, good free throw percent, threes, not quite as good a field goal number. And so the days of C.J. McCollum being an obvious pick at like 30 are probably over. He finished at number 60 last year in 9-cat, and he'll probably be in that 50-60 to 60 range again this coming year. So easy enough. Lillard, same situation. He's always going to be just outside, right around the end of the first round. He's a turn guy and a super safe one. We don't need to go into excruciating detail on that. Uh, other players on this team that I think are somewhat interesting... Will Mario Hazonia play enough to be relevant? Which is just the silliest damn question you think anybody could ask on a fantasy show. But, but, the reason I bring it up is that the options on this team got incredibly limited by their offseason stuff. No Al Farouk Aminu, no Evan Turner, no Mo Harkless. A lot of the guys soaking up small forward and power forward minutes on this team are gone. At least from last year. So what do you think? Is Anthony Tolliver going to play much power forward? Nah. Will Zach Collins? No. Whiteside? No. These big guys, they're not sliding down much. So power forward on this team now is Scalabissier? Probably not. Maybe a little bit. Mario Hazonia, Rodney Hood, and Kent Bazemore. These are not... I mean, Hazonia is the only guy in that group that's a little bit more built for power forward. He and Rodney Hood are both 6'8", but Azonia's got him by about 25 pounds. Rodney Hood, mostly a small forward. Bazemore, mostly a small forward. Sometimes shooting guard. I don't think you can slide him up and play the four very often. So you might, and I'm not, I'm going to say outside the top 100, so I'm not going to give him the thumbs up, but you might see fantasy value from Mario Hazonia this year. I think he's worth a flyer pick. If only because if only because there's just he's going to get a chance. Maybe that's the best way to say it. I can't say there's no other option, but he's going to get a chance. Now does that mean that someone will take a chance and run with it? That's a different beast altogether. But what I'm saying is you're going to have stretches where, yeah, I know, it sounds stupid just coming out of my mouth. Mario Azonia will have stretches of decent fantasy value. I do believe that over the course of the year, Portland realizes he's not a long-term fit, and they'll try to figure something out, piecemealing things together, maybe more Rodney Hood at the four. Maybe you do see Tolliver play a bit more at the four. Maybe you see more Scalabissier on the floor, although you know he's really more of a center given his game limitations. Uh, Nasir Little is a rookie. I don't know that I see him really stepping into a big spot there. Uh, so, there, I mean, I think at the beginning of the year, at least, it's probably going to be Hazonia. He might be their starting power forward. 
But I'm going to put him on the outside because I don't think he can make it last all season long. I'm going to call him outside the top 100, but definitely worth a flyer pick in the last two or three rounds of a draft just to see. Remember, you know, if you look at his season numbers, they're pretty clunky, right? I mean, his three years in Orlando, clunky. Last year with the Knicks, clunky. But if you go down and you break into the game by game, that's where things get a little bit more interesting. For instance, uh, look into the game-by-game log for his final season in Orlando two years ago. There was a stretch in there where, and I believe it was Aaron Gordon was hurt, and there might have been one, one other guy that was out. And all of a sudden, Hazonia had like a month and a half where he got to average 30 minutes a game. He was piling up steals like they were going out of style. Right around the beginning of February, if you look at the game log, again, this is the 20, what is it, 17-18? Yeah, 2017-2018 season. Right around the beginning of February, suddenly Mario Zonia came into a whole host of minutes. And he wasn't scoring a ton. He had a stretch in there where he had some decent scoring games. You know that's not going to keep up. What he was doing, though, three steals, three steals, seven defensive stats in a game on February the 12th, two years ago. Two steals, two, three, two, two, one, one, two. It, I don't know how many numbers I just listed off, but I think that was 11 games in a row where he had at least one steal. And 10 of those, nine of those, it was two or more. And then he lost some playing time in mid-March before everybody got rested down the stretch and he got some more minutes for the final two or three weeks of the season. He's not playing 35 minutes a game with Portland. But if it's high 20s to low 30s, There will be defensive stats. There will be three-pointers. There will probably be not great field goal percent. He's an okay foul shooter. He'll rebound a little bit. Again, Portland's going to need some rebounding. So I'm not advocating a massive Mario Ozonia wave here, but what I am saying is take a chance. (laughs) Take a chance on me. Uh, And then the other player, and I'm going to put him inside the top 100, and this is going to be the the one that's going to kill me a second time, is Kent Bazemore who was cruising last year with the Hawks prior to his ankle injury and then subsequent uh, benching due to oldness. But he's a guy that in 26, 27 minutes a game can put up a very full fantasy line, and I think he's playing that. Because when I look at this team's roster, Bazemore, 6'5", 200-pounder, helped run the offense in Atlanta. He is going to be taking over a role that's vacated by Evan Turner. He might actually be the starting small forward on this team. It's either going to be Bays or Rodney Hood, most likely. Because again, Harkless is gone. Al Farouk Aminu's gone. That was the three and the four. That was their starting three and four last year. Porn's got to replace both the starting three and their starting four. So regardless of whether or not it's Hood or Bays in the starting unit, and I would put Hood in the starting unit because he's more of a floor spacer and Bays is more of a creator. Not a great one, but certainly more his profile. Even if he's coming off the bench, it's going to be seven minutes into the game. And then he's going to be playing backup three, backup two. You might even see him out there for three or four minutes a game at the four. There is plenty of opportunity for Kent Bazemore. Plenty to get up to 26, 27 minutes a game. And we know what he can do in that stretch. In fact, I'm actually more excited about what he can do not 
being forced to run an offense and turn the ball over a whole bunch of times. Sure, the assists might come down from three and change to two. But the rebounds will be there. He'll get his four rebounds in his 26 minutes. He'll get his .6, .7 blocks. He'll get his 1.4 steals, 1.5 steals. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's going to be probably over two defensive stats per game. Something like 11 points, one and a half threes. And then you just hope he doesn't take that many shots. Because field goal percent is a little bit of a sticking point. But damn, you guys know I love defensive stats, and so he's another guy I'd target late in drafts because why would anybody grab this guy early? He killed people last year with that long absence. His numbers fell off the map. You know, he was cruising. He was a top 90, top 80 guy until the injury. And then he just disappeared. He didn't play at all the rest of the year, basically. And when he did, it was limited minutes. You couldn't hold him at that point because you just never knew when he was going to get it, you know, 26, 27 minutes a night. It was usually like 16 or 17. That's going up, man. This Portland team needs him. They need the defense. They need someone who can create a little bit. They need someone who can slash a little bit. He's going to play. Even if he and Hood split the small forward minutes, that's 24 apiece. And anything on top of that is gravy. Quick math. What did C.J. McCollum do last year? How many minutes did he play? 34. That's 14 backup shooting guard minutes. You could give all of those to Bays more. You give half to Bays and half to Hood. Either way, they're both ending up with 31 all of a sudden. Now, it's not going to be that simple. There will be games where guys are hot, guys are cold, blowouts, whatever. But mid to high 20s is very achievable. So he's definitely on my list of everybody's asking about my old men. Ken Bazemore qualifies at this point. Throw him on the old man squad, man. This is a this is a terrific opportunity to bounce back a little bit. And there's my list for this Portland team. Dame, CJ, obviously inside the top 100. I'm going to put Whiteside inside the top 100 at about number 80. It's my best guess, but the free throw thing is such a, a question mark. And I'm going to put Bazemore inside the top 90 as well. And I think you're going to be able to get Bazemore the cheapest out of all of those guys. Rodney Hood, no. Stat set, not good enough. Hazonia, no. Not consistent enough, although he will have stretches where he goes top 50 for like two weeks and then vanishes. Tolliver, no. Collins, no. Uh, And that's really all the names you need to hear on that team. Next one on the docket, the Minnesota Timberwolves. This is an interesting one because, to me at least, I don't think anybody's really talked about the Timberwolves the entire offseason. Which, that's fine. Do they really deserve to be talked about? Probably not. But they did lose Taj Gibson. And in the little things that go a long way portion of the proceedings, that could actually be quite relevant. And they did lose Dario Saric. So throw another one into the little things that could actually be a big deal part of the discussion. The Minnesota Timberwolves have some very obvious inside the top 100 guys. Carl Anthony Towns will likely be a top five fantasy guy. He was number six on a per-game basis last year. And, of course, he is incredibly durable. And that puts him ahead of other guys, like, say, Paul George, who was number three last year, but is coming into this season with two shoulder surgeries. Kawhi Leonard was right behind Cat. He's going to be missing a bunch of games. Harden, AD, Steph, Giannis, these are all the guys up there 
with Cat at the top of the mix. He's a very safe top five pick. Got no problem with that. The rest of this team is more interesting, which is a weird way to phrase it because obviously Cat is a very interesting fantasy player, but he's not from a what-do-we-think-we're-going-to-get standpoint. This Timberwolves team, top to bottom right now, will start at big man. Gorgie Jang is still a Timberwolf. I don't know if there's proper terminology there. But they also brought in Noah Vonley. In a very, well, that's a nice deal, by the way. So if, if you're sitting on Gorgie Jang and thinking that suddenly everything's going to just get magically way better for him, I would say the, it probably is not. I think you're going to see a lot of Rob Covington at the four over the course of this season. You're going to see Jake Lehman at the four and Noah Vonley at the four. I don't think you're going to see much Gorgie Jang at the floor. So despite the fact that Taj and Sharich both gone and only Vonley in, in terms of the in out of guys that, well, I guess Lehman wasn't on this team last year either. Uh, Gorgie is still going to be the backup center. That's his role. You might see a few more minutes. You know, he was sitting on 14 last year, which was a career low. Tied his rookie season for a career low. Uh, but the 14's probably only going up to 17 or 18. Which is not enough. Unfortunately, I mean, we all love this guy's fantasy game. But he's just not, he's not a power forward in the modern NBA. So I don't think you're going to see the twin tower thing. Especially on a team that needs floor spacing. Because Jeff Teague, their starting point guard, not a great three-point shooter. At least not a prolific one. He can step out and he'll hit one every once in a while. But when you talk about guards that shoot the three, he's averaged one per game over his entire career. Decent enough percentage, he just doesn't shoot them. So Teague's not shooting the three. Wiggins took more of them last year. I mean, he's trying to, in, to his credit, he's attempting to evolve his game. He made 1.6 three-pointers last season. Uh, but just 34%. He's a career 33%er from downtown. So he's not what you'd call a traditional floor spacer. Covington kind of is. He's a career 36%er on pretty damn high volume from downtown. And Cat actually, can shoot the three a little bit. Percentage is never going to be a whopper of a number, I mean, actually, he shot 40% from downtown last year, which is higher than I realized and pretty impressive. Carl uh, Anthony Towns and Rob Covington are kind of the only two floor spacers when you take a quick look at the roster. So they're going to need people to help with that, to keep from clogging things up. Because Cat can step away if Wiggins is doing something silly or if Teague is doing something silly. He's, not, he's doing most of his damage from inside the three-point line. We saw Noah Vonley kind of learn how to shoot the three-pointer last year. He was stepping out and knocking down a few with the Knicks. Averaged about one a game. But that's not nothing for a center. A little less than that. Uh, Josh Okoge, you're going to see him playing more this coming year. Um, he only shot 28% from downtown. So, again, I don't think that you can say we can count on this guy to space the floor. But what you can look at is say, look, they're going to need guys that can roam the perimeter and sadly, Gorgie Jang is just not that guy. He made .3 three-pointers per game last year. Even if you extrapolate that to 25 minutes a game, it's still only .6. And so he's the backup center. He's the backup center. Rob Covington, probably some, a bunch of four. Wiggins, probably a bunch of three. And I think your question mark for this team is, 
what are they doing at shooting guard? That might be Josh Okogie. So your starting lineup, if I had to guess, and I might get this wrong, Teague, Okogie, Wiggins, Covington, Cat. Not a particularly giant starting lineup, but we've seen Rob. He can handle power forwards, uh, and I think he'll be just fine. You'll see the minutes come down for a lot of these guys. It's not Tom Thibodeau anymore. Thank God. But what this does do is it puts the onus on us to figure out who's actually going to be healthy this coming season. Jeff Teague played only 42 games last year and has a little bit of a bad rep for injury, which is odd to me because he's actually played most of the season every year of his NBA career. He's missed a game here and there. It's always been like little dings, nicks, and bruises type of stuff with Jeff. But this was really the first season where he got blasted by the injury bug. Now, to be fair, he did just turn 31, so he's not a spring chicken anymore, and maybe this is the start of something worse, but the rep of missing games is misplaced. He played 70 games his first season in Minnesota. He played all 82 the one year in Indiana. And with the Hawks, the first, what is that, seven years of his NBA career? 71, 70, all 66. That was a lockout season, remember? 80, 79, 73, 79. He played a lot of games. He was pretty damn durable, actually. So this, to me, feels like a Jeff Teague potential bounce back. They don't have Derrick Rose on this team to be a potential backup point guard. It's Shabazz Napier now, who's fine, but, you know, he's not going to steal that job. Not that Rose did either, but he did take a lot of looks away. So Teague, I think, is going to be fine. The question is, you know, how many games does he play? How many do we want him to play? He was number 119 last year because his field goal percent was well below the previous three or four seasons at just 42%. His free throw percent was actually down by four or five as well. The other stuff was not that far off. Steals were a bit down. You know, he just wasn't right. You know, you look at all of his numbers from last year, and there was this sagging in them that I think you can probably attribute to injury. So that's the big question mark with Jeff Teague. How hurt is he? I still think he's going to fall like a boulder in fantasy drafts, which... While that doesn't mean he's going to be some magical solution to your team, it does mean that maybe he gets a little closer to his previous year in Minnesota, which puts him more in that top 75, top 80 range instead of top 120. I think he's a guy you can probably get around 100 that will be inside the top 100 at the end of the year. So I'm putting him in there. That's my second guy on the list. Rob Covington, he's an obvious one. If you think he's healthy, he's an easy top 100. Before he got hurt, Rob was cruising. A whopper of a year. He actually finished, and only played 35 games, but on a per-game basis last year, he finished at number 18 in 9-cat. 13 points, 5.5 rebounds, 2.5 threes, 2 steals, 1.3 blocks. Whoa! Outstanding. And only 1.3 turnovers. He's a fantasy gold mine. You guys know how much I love Rob Covington. I hope I end up with him freaking everywhere. I'll be the Rob Covington hype train because it doesn't matter how much I talk about him. He doesn't do the glitzy things. And he missed a whole bunch of time. So people are going to be a little bit soured. But he's going to have an awesome year. He's going to be great. And Minnesota actually is a lot better when he's on the floor than when he's not. I think he might actually be the guy that surprises people this season and helps Minnesota win a few extra ball games that folks didn't think they were going to win. 
Noah Vonley, I'm going to say no because I think there's just too much competition for those power forward slash backup center minutes. He could lose minutes to Keita Bates' job. He could lose minutes to Rob Covington. I mean, he will, obviously. Gorgie Jang, Jake Lehman, even Tyrone Wallace. Because as you schmoo- as you move one guy into the lineup, it sort of mushes everybody else to other spots. Andrew Wiggins, that's the last one on this list. I dodged him, I ducked, I, I weaved, I bobbed. But it all comes back to the same thing with poor little Andrew. His stat set is terrible. His field goal percent was 41 last year because as he's tried to evolve his outside shot, his two-point shot hasn't gotten any better. Andrew Wiggins, master of the long two. This is a very athletic young man who's only been in the NBA for five years and he shot 44% from two-point range last year. That's not good. He shot 70% at the free throw line. He's never been a good foul shooter, but that was fairly low even for him, although 64% the year before was even worse. Uh, Defensive stats are actually okay. That's one area where with Wiggins, I think you can kind of forget, perhaps, that he's actually okay with defensive stats. He averaged a steal and .7 blocks per game, 1.7 combined. That's not bad. Low turnovers. About five boards, two and a half assists. I mean, 18-5 and two and a half is not a bad starting point with a steal in .7 blocks, but the other stuff is just so miserable. Not enough three-pointers to offset the terrible field goal percent. Bad free throw percent, although his attempts are going way down also as he moves away from the rim. I mean, this to me is a bad trend. If you're Andrew Wiggins, you've probably taken in too much of the can't-spread-the-floor criticism. Go to the rim, dude. Get closer to the bucket. Enough of these long twos. I know that's kind of always been his bread and butter, but instead of getting farther, I think I'd try to get closer. He's not a great shooter. I don't know that he ever will be. But of course, based on what we know now, there's no reason to think that that's just going to happen, that suddenly this trend we've seen in his career is going to go the other direction. So, yeah, he's outside the top 100 for me. No question. He's a points leagues option. Yeah, for sure. But... Uh, 9-cat? No, I don't. No, thank you. Not with the way he'd punish you in those two percentages. Both of them. And on volume. A punishing stat set. Can't do it. And that leaves us with three. Cat, Covington, Teague. I think of the only Timberwolves that finished this year inside the top 100 on a per-game basis in 9-cat. And that's where we'll put a pin in this one. Uh, we could potentially try to squeeze one more team in today, but I don't see any reason to do that. Uh, we'll do one with Neil tomorrow as we continue our season win totals profile on tomorrow's show. What did I say we're doing next? Let's see. We started in Portland. We went across the north to Minnesota. Then we're cutting south. You know what I'm going to do? While we're talking right now, I'm going to pull up a map of the United States of America, and we're going to look to see which city is closer to Minnesota, is it, uh, well, I guess it'd be Denver. I guess we got to do Denver next. Wow, Oklahoma City, that's a, that's almost equidistant. Yeah, maybe we'll go OKC tomorrow. We'll go OKC tomorrow, and then we'll loop back through Denver and Utah. So we're going to make it like a big J, a big hook, a fish hook 
we follow the fish hook, as the movie Moana shows us, we will find Maui. By the way, uh, as we're finishing up this podcast, news breaking that the NCAA is not going to force agents to have a bachelor's degree after insane pushback and great pushback, right? I got to pick my words very carefully here. The pushback was insane in its magnitude, which was awesome. How great was that? The whole country looked at that and said, this is stupid. Democrats, Republicans, independents alike all said this rule is bleeping dumb. I did a podcast over the weekend with the great Ethan Noroff, our Hoopball Lakers show, and we talked about that. That it was like, this is, that rule basically upset everyone. Free market folks didn't want it. Folks that were fighting for the underdog didn't want it. Left, right, center, you name it. All agreed. That was an idiotic rule. So good job, NCAA, for solving a problem you made in the first place. That's the way people are doing things nowadays. Make a problem and then solve it and then claim you're a hero. Hopefully the NCAA just quietly goes on about their business. What a terrible rule. And thankfully it only lasts like five days. Huzzah. Can't do it, man. Picking LeBron James as your enemy is a very bad idea. So good for you, universe. You came together on one thing. Twitter can only agree on one thing, and it's that the NCAA is stupid. And we won. Everybody, we all came together and we won. This is it. The world just needed a common enemy, and it was the NCAA. All right, that'll do it. That's today's podcast. I'm Dan Baspers. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Again, if you have a moment to rate and review, we'll love you forever. Tomorrow, Neil Rochelani will do season win totals. I don't even remember where we left off. I think it's part four. So that's teams 19 through 24. Alphabetically, you guys can figure that out. I'll look at it before we do the show, obviously. But I got it all written out in a document. I don't need to know it today. Uh, We'll also do the Oklahoma City Thunder and our team profile Wednesday. Uh, Assuming Brandon Marcus is A-OK and ready to roll, we will be profiling the last two teams in the Northwest Division. That'll be Utah and Denver. Neil and Josh on Thursday, Adrian and Coach on Friday. That's the upcoming week here on Fantasy NBA Today. Thanks for listening once again. We will talk to you manana. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.